Welcome to this edition of Gabrielle Dolan's Authentic Leadership Podcast. Join Gabrielle as she speaks to well-known leaders on authentic leadership values and storytelling. The aim of this podcast is to encourage you to embrace authenticity in both the professional and personal context. The stories and experience of her guests will be a wonderful catalyst for others to learn from. So welcome to this edition of my podcast with a little bit of a twist because my guest today is Callie Irvin, who's been my editor for ever. She's an amazing editor and um, the bit of a twist is she's going to interview me. So I am not going to be asking the questions. She's going to be asking the questions. I'm a little bit nervous because I have got no idea of the questions she's going to ask me, but I, I trust her. So <laughs> I hope I hope we're in safe hands. So hope you enjoy. All right. I think we're recording. We're good to go. <laughs> All right. So, well, so well, do you, you interview me uh, so I don't have to introduce no, you? No, I'm going to uh, ask you the questions. That's, that's what makes today different. I'm going to turn the tables and you're going to become the interviewee. Um, and so it's lovely to be able to do this with you today because uh, I think it's a great opportunity to give your listeners and your audience a bit of insight into what authentic communication and, of course, magnetic stories, but we'll get to that, means for you, but also get to know you a little bit on a, on a deeper level. And, yes, we are going to talk about your new book, um, but I am honoured to be able to do this. I've been working with you. I actually added this up. Been working on your books as your coach and your editor for nearly 10 years now. Um, wow, and you're still stuck with me because... Well, I think that's extraordinary because it usually takes a person 10 years to write one book, but we're now up to your sixth book. So (laughs) that's saying something um, a a bit about you. So first, though, what I actually want you to do is take us back to your house and your childhood, uh, wherever you grew up. Imagine we're sitting around your dinner table what kinds of stories were shared at the dinner table? Wow, I'm, I'm starting to feel really nervous now that the tables are flipped and you're asking me questions. But where, so when you were asking me that questions, where I was around the dinner table, it was one thing, I'm one of eight children. I'm one of eight children. So around the dinner table was always pretty noisy. But I always remember we would eat dinner around about six o'clock and it, it coincided that that was when the news was on and like way back then the only form of news you heard on the day was the six o'clock news and we had one little tv in the in the kitchen little black and white tv and it was almost we'd be sitting around the dinner table and we weren't allowed to talk except in the ads so it would be like this silence watching the news and then the ads would come on and la, 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 um, and then silence again so that was around around the dining table um, the particular stories I don't know I think they were just sort of what people were doing that day and stuff like that I just Your regular kind of regular stuff. stuff what did you do today and um, it's, it's actually something I do now in, with my family. We sit around the, the dining table. Um, I'm not going to say we do that every night because I think we used to, but, you know, as the kids start doing different stuff, we don't. But when we do do, the TV goes off. I make a point of the TV actually being turned off. Um, and we do sit around saying, you know, what happened today? What are you, what are you doing tomorrow? Um, and so those conversations happen around my family table. 
And do you get the response, Mom, are you mining stories for your next book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the family is a wise up to um, the amount of times I use stories about them in the book one of the things I find really ironic if I share a story about anyone I need their like legal permission to actually use it except when it becomes your family which you don't which um as the as certainly as the kids have got older um they want to see them but you know I do I say well here's an opportunity to read the book if you want to hear about the stories about yourself yeah cool so I think it's funny and the reason why I'm asking this is because you know, telling stories, and you talk about this a lot, is a big part of our history. It's a big part of our makeup. It's just kind of in our DNA. It's what we do. Uh, it's how we share our biggest vulnerabilities, like share our day, like what's happened, et cetera, et cetera. And that tends to be until you step into business. So yeah. what's your perspective on that? Yeah, it is. It's, it's so it, it sort of astounds me how it's the way we communicate as humans, we communicate through stories. When we want to teach our kids really important stuff, we share stories. When we're, we're connecting with our friends, we're sharing stories. But we go into business and we have this weird idea that storytelling doesn't belong in a business world as if it's not professional. But the reality in is when you're in business, you're trying to make connections all the time. You're trying to, you know, connect and engage with your employees, um, connect with customers on a like, you know, which we're trying to do all this, but not think stories can do that. And if stories have that effect in every other aspect of our life, um, it astounds me that we don't use it more readily in business. But look, Cal, when I first started doing this almost 17 years ago now, that was certainly the case. It's certainly changing where businesses see that storytelling is actually just a really human natural way to connect and engage with people and i actually want to pull out a quote here because it's one of the opening quotes in the book in fact it's people realize the power of sharing stories in business as a relevant credible and effective way to connect with customers and engage employees now so if that's the case it's kind of like okay book closed (laughs) (laughs) right job done so why do we need another book on storytelling what are we not getting yeah look and it's funny it was when I've um every time I write a book I sort of think okay Cal hope you enjoyed that we won't be back I'm not writing another one but here I am almost every two years I write one and but I did I must admit that I sort of thought everyone's sort of getting storytelling now I, I very rarely have people that I need to convince that storytelling's a good thing I very rarely need that so they've, they've sort of they sort of get it but what I did notice why we need another book I noticed that people were understanding the importance of storytelling and trying to implement it in their organization or their small company or whatever and not doing it well or they're thinking they're doing it, thinking, going, yeah, we're, we're doing storytelling, we've got brand storytelling. And when I look, it's just either one story, like how the story, how the company started, which is great, but that's just one story. Um, and then I would come across um, people that had amazing stories, but had this reluctance to share them and thinking, why don't you put that on your website? Because if that was on your website, that's half your selling done, but still this reluctance to go, well, why would people be interested in that? Like, and so not understanding the power of it. So 
that was all that that was I was going to say it's almost the catalyst of the book that was the catalyst of the book where I saw missed opportunities where people could be doing storytelling really well and using stories um, and companies doing it incorrectly and you know there's only a certain amount of times where you can go no that's not a story no you're doing it wrong where you just go wow maybe you should write a book about it yeah and you use the term in this book brand storytelling so rather than describe what brand storytelling is it might be easier to describe what it's not yeah it's um I think when people hear the term brand storytelling and brand they think it's around it's for the marketing team or the marketing or it's marketing so they think it's a a logo or a tagline or um a really slick corporate video so when I when I was doing research for the book I went out to a lot of my colleagues in the you know professional communication space looking saying you know do you know any companies that are doing brand storytelling really well and I got all these people going yeah you should look at that company that company that company and I would look at them and it was a slick corporate video and I would watch this video and go nothing about this is a story it's 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 a beautiful shot video um, but it's not a story so it's not a slick corporate video it's not one story that's that's another thing I see people going like they go oh we do it but it's just one story so yeah it's not a it's not it's not a logo it's not a tagline it's it's not your um purpose and values on a page so I, I see a lot of companies going this is our story and they show me and I go it's your purpose and values on a page which is great great thing to summarize it but it's not a story why don't why don't we bring them to life through stories? So that's what it's not. So, I mean, I think you touched on a really important point there because I think this is one thing that you go into detail in, in this book. It's you talk about website and that, I mean, especially today, there's so many business, like online is just it's just where we're at. So how do you think that that's, especially over the years, if you think about all the Le- learnings and lessons and the things you've taught about storytelling over the years how has online impacted our ability to tell stories or where we should be or um confused almost what a story is and stuff like that how do you think the impact mm. on- online has made it yeah, look, I think stories, I think sharing your stories online is a great way to share them. Um, but again, there's a reluctance to do it. So there's a couple of things I see is um, this whole trend of on our website, changing the about us section to our story and calling it our story. But nine times out of 10, it's just a timeline. So a timeline's not a story. That's why it's called a timeline, not a story. Um, so people sort of thinking they're telling a story because it's our story, but it's just a history of the company. Or sometimes you get into the our story and it's just a, a whole bunch of jargon words pulled together, you know, around we deliver best practice cutting edge to deliver it to our customers. I was like, what, what does that mean? When it's like, that's not a story. Um, but online, you know, the online thing I can lend, it lends itself really well to a story. I remember, um, you know, talking about missed opportunities. I remember speaking to a woman a couple of years ago now. I met her at a conference and she used to be a dentist that she now runs childcare centers. And I sort of went, wow, that's a, how did that, how did that move happen? And she shared with me that, you know, she'd been trying to have, um, a, her and her husband had been trying to have a child for years and years and years and couldn't, and then eventually had one. And when she was looking for a childcare centre to put her son in, she just kept going, I don't want my son to be in any of these, any of these. And she couldn't find a childcare centre that she was happy to leave her son. So she decided to buy one. 
and create one. And now she has like heaps of them and everything is about, you know, would my son be happy in here? And I just said, is that story on your website? She went, oh, no, 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 no. And I'm going, that story on your website would I, I would just I would just book my child into your childcare center. Just reading that story alone would would convince me to go to your childcare center. But again, there's this reluctance not to do it. So um, yeah, and I love that example um, because it really proves your point that you're trying to make in this. And the story is something that attracts you to someone else. Like it's exactly what you said, right? It's like wow, I would be totally involved. I would book my child into that just because of the story because that's yeah. an amazing kind of context and background. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's it's almost like the name of the book, Cal, you and I know the, the working title of the book is never, never the end version <laughs> of the book. And the magnetic stories concept is I was trying to find the name of a title that conveyed what a good story could do, as in, you know, that story as soon as you hear it, it's almost like you have this instant attraction, like an instant connection where it's very hard to pull away from. It's very hard to forget that. Um, and that's that was the whole concept of the word magnetic, where you have this almost like this instant, a, a good magnetic story can connect people to your brand, your product, your company, whatever, whatever, in an instant, and they'll probably never forget it. Mm. So it wouldn't be a book on storytelling if there weren't lots of stories in here. True. <laughs> um, and that I know that that one is in here, but there's also a lot of other stories, but maybe not even in the context of the book. What would you say is one of the most interesting stories or magnetic stories you've ever heard? Um, look, it probably came, one of the ones, and this is in the book, this is in the book, but it's the, the story of Barbie. And um, I talk about how I, I, I hated dolls growing up. I was such a tomboy um, into anything but dolls. And so I never had a Barbie. And when, you know, decades later, when the whole Barbie is bad for girls, or it's, it's body shaming and it's a bad role model for girls, I happily went along with that story. And it was while I was in the early stages of thinking about this book and writing this book that I came, I heard the backstory of Barbie. And the backstory goes that the Ruth Handler, which was the, the wife of um, one of the, the co-founders of Mattel, noticed that when her two children were playing with their dolls, um, they would pretend to be adults. But her daughter, Barbara, and her son, Ken, and yes, Ken and Barbie are named after her children. Her daughter, Barbara, could only ever see herself in the role as child, um, as carer, caregiver, while her son, Ken, could imagine himself as, you know, an astronaut, a firefighter, a scientist. And so she pitched this idea to her husband and the other execs to build a, like a life-size 3D doll, adult doll, with clothes, and they, they did not did not like it at all, literally didn't think anyone would buy an adult doll for their child. Anyway, she persisted. It launched in 1959 at the New York Toy Fair. And, um, you, know, as the as, you know, as they say, the rest is history. But what I love, there's a, there's a quote, there's a quote from Ruth Handler. And she says, my whole philosophy of Barbie was that through the doll, the little girl could be anything she wanted to be and that Barbie always represented the fact that a woman has a cho has choices and as soon as I heard that story that one story um 
completely changed my opinion of Barbie, completely changed my opinion of the brand. And, and not only changed my opinion, but will um, influence my future buying habits. So, you know, I never brought my two daughters a Barbie, but maybe any future grandkids might get a Barbie. And so I see something like that and I go, why isn't that story front and centre on Mattel's website? Why isn't that story on the packaging of every Barbie? Um, I had to find the story because I was researching for the book and I, and I found it on their website, but I had to look hard to find it. So, and I was researching for a book. 99.9% .9 of the people will not see that story and will not hear about it. And to me, that is just a massively missed waste opportunity. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Because, I mean, I remember reading it when we were writing it, but when you say it as well, it's sort of one of those things that gives you goosebumps. Mm. Mm. Um, so it, it really kind of summarises, like, yeah, how you can turn something around from this or, or your brand can have a total misperception until you tell tell the meaning and the purpose and the reasons and stuff behind it. Yeah, nearly um, every nearly every person that's read the book has given me well great feedback, but always in the feedback is I have a renewed respect for Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like so. Yeah. So that's interesting, right? Because there's a I want to ask you this because I reckon that for a lot of people uh, listening that you know they might be sold on the idea of storytelling, but I know like one of the the questions a lot of it, but but how do you find these stories? Like, how do you, how do you actually like like how do you know what you're looking for? How do you find stories in your own life? How do you find stories and utilize them? Um, yeah, like what's your approach to that? Yeah, look, and I think it has to be quite. Um, so, so I think it's a few things. I think the first step is you've got to be aware of how powerful they, these are. So a lot of the times people don't even bother finding them or looking for them because they're just unaware of how powerful they are. So once you do know how powerful they are, um, it's them being clear in, well, what, it's almost like, what do you want your brand to be? What do, what do you want to be? And then it's it's going finding them. It's it's asking people. It's it's been it can be quite strategic with it, but it could be just doing some research. Um, I, I actually uh, I gave the book to my best friend, and she just started reading it. And and she works for a not for profit company, and she um she said to me it's already given me some ideas because her their not-for-profit company started about 25 years ago and it's um it's sort of the amalgamation of a few different companies and she goes but I'm sure it started somewhere I go I can guarantee you it started somewhere some person decided to start this not-for-profit so why don't you speak to them find out why they started because I guarantee you that it'll, there'll be a story there and then share that so it's almost going until you realize the power of it you're not even looking for them so it's it's going finding them it's you know it's and it takes it takes a bit of effort to find them mm. so awareness is kind of the first piece and then actually um I mean, what you're talking about is almost generating buy-in as well because you also said at the start like storytelling is just not down to the marketing department no, it would be everyone's job, right? No, it's every single one's job, and that's and that's why I think there needs to be some form of education across an entire organisation on the power of stories. So while it might not be, you know, you might have people on the front line. I mean, they don't have to go find the story; they're creating the stories. So they're actually, you know, if you want to be known for exceptional customer service. What are you, first of all, find stories that, that prove that and demonstrate that, but then what are your employees doing 
on a day-to-day basis that demonstrates that and therefore creates future stories. So we get in this constant cycle of finding stories, communicating them, but then creating them to communicate new stories. And they just they just keep going round and round and round. So it's a form of social proof, right? Yeah, it's a form of social proof, not only for your customers, but also a social proof for your employees that if you could say, okay, we value customer service and we value challenging the status quo, for example, um, you need to share stories of employees doing that to say it's actually you know, it's actually not only okay to do this, but we expect you to do this. And you can only do that by hearing all different stories of other employees doing exactly that. Mm. So I'm going to turn it back to you for a second. Oh, do we have to? I don't know if you've been asked this question before. What is the wildest story about yourself that you've never shared with anyone? Oh, God. Okay, I'm gonna. It's maybe it's not wildest. I don't think I've shared it with someone, anyone. I'm I'm sure I've shared it with some people, but I don't share it often. One or two. Um, yeah. I, I'm gonna give you one, and I and I think I don't share it because ultimately I'm um I'm not very happy with my behaviour. So <laughs> everyone will know I'm a bit of a prankster. Like I I do like a joke, and I remember when I was I was probably like I don't know. 14 or 15 at school and I had a friend who on hindsight wasn't a very good influence on me at the time but you know you don't realize that at the time and there was a boy who was a bit deaf and he had hearing aids I still remember his name his name was Jason and I did a joke where I was talking to him but no words were coming out and so he kept turning up his hearing aid and then I shouted at him and I still remember him going oh my ears my ears and I thought it was hilarious at a 14 or 15-year-old, but you look back and you go, that was disgusting. It was just like the meanest, worst thing you could do. Um, and, yeah, so I don't tell, I don't know why I just told you this. <laughs> but, you know, things like we, we all have, we all have stories like that that we're pretty, you know, like ashamed of really of our behaviour and, you and. I guess I'm sharing it because that if if I was working with someone, I'll go, oh well, you should share that story because it 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 shows, and maybe and maybe those stories that when you do things that you're a bit embarrassed about, when especially when you're younger, it sort of then almost guides you the rest of your life to go, well, you know, that was pretty shitty. So make sure we don't do that again or anything like that again. Yeah, look, I actually love that example because I think that sums up what being authentic is about. Right. Yeah. So, so J- Jason, if you're listening, I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> and I mean, to your point, it's so why you often get people the stories that people will share with you, which might make them feel ashamed or guilty or actually can actually be quite good stories. Um, it's just what, what what's your take on that? It's it, because it's about taking the learning and the lesson from it, right, and, and sharing it in the right way. So what, what, do, what would you usually coach around that? Um, it's not all rainbows and unicorns, I think. No, no, no. I think, I think the power in those stories is it's showing a bit of vulnerability um, and especially for leaders, people, you know, in leadership roles, it's, no, one, no, one, no one expects you to be perfect and no one know, everyone knows you're not perfect. So it's almost like, showing that you are human, showing that you've um, learned stuff from it. Um, 
And also sometimes sharing your own story can, you know, it's almost like getting something off your chest as well. So they can be really powerful. I I actually had an email last week from a client who said, I shared a story um, the other week and she goes, I just want to let you know how powerful it was, not only in getting the message across. And it was actually a little bit similar to what I did. It was when she was about 17 and um, she was, you know, going to do a theatre with her friend, but then had met this boy and wanted to spend time with the boy. So she told her friend that she couldn't do the theatre and then the boy dumped her. And it was like, she's never spoken to that friend before. or I don't think the old friend, but never told her why. And she decided to reach out like 25 years later on Facebook and say apologise to the girl. The girl's going, whatever, we were 17. But she actually said sharing that story then um, helped her own it a bit. And, you know, and again, you get you get lessons from that. So from her sharing that story, you can obviously understand um, not letting people down is probably a really strong value for her because she let someone down 25 years ago and, and she still regrets it to this day. So it's funny when you share a val- when you share a story about when you haven't lived the value, it sort of ironically um, tells people that you actually really value that. Do you think there's a, a difference when you sh- like in how you share that story? So in person as opposed to um, in writing or something like that? Because I mean, I get this um, conversation. I have this conversation a lot when I'm coaching other authors. It's like Where's the divide between sharing yourself too much in your writing and being vulnerable or are people kind of looking for that? Um, Mm. Do you have a perspective on that? Yeah, so a couple of things. I think the divide, you know, you know when sometimes people say it's a, it's, a, it's a thin white line. I actually don't think it's a thin white line. I think it's actually a really big line and it, and very rarely do we step over it. I mean, there's the odd occasion, but very rarely do we step over it. I think you sort of know how much vulnerability you can share. Um, the effectiveness in whether it's written or spoken, look, I always think the spoken face-to-face is uh, all virtual now, <laughs> it's as close as we're getting to face-to-face these days, um, is better, but it's still written is effective. So, I mean, you know, Cal, even when I just spoke about the Barbie story, it's like, you know, you've, you've read it in the book, you've edited it probably 27,000 times, but it's hearing it um, verbally where people can, you know, I guess it doesn't sound as scripted and people, you, you're seeing, you're sensing the, I think you can sense the emotion more when someone shares a personal story, like saying it as opposed to writing it, you can pick up on the emotion a lot more. Mm. But it's interesting, right? Because even if you were to do a, a speech on it and share that story, the likelihood is you would do some, at least jot some writing out in terms of that story first because that's sort of how we articulate our thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things I talk about to people is if you're going to share a story, a personal story, I highly recommend you write it out. You absolutely write it out. Write it out as you'd say it, but then, of course, never read it. Like you, you're not reading your personal story. You just practice it and then just say it. Yeah. So, okay, so let's talk about your writing a little bit because this is your sixth book now. Yes. Now, I mean, remember, remember what happens in the first draft stays in the first draft, Cal. Remember that? I did read that in the, uh, in the little acknowledgements in there. I did love that. <laughs> um, but, I mean, well, actually, to, to your credit there, 
Uh, let's just bust the myth because you don't just sit down at a laptop and start writing, right? No. You don't. <laughs> It don't. Or is that the problem? No, yeah, that, that can be the problem if you start doing that. <laughs> um, so does a book ever actually get any easier to write? What's your perspective now on that? Good question. I'm going I'm to say yes, I think it does. I think it does. Um, I, I did, even though the few times I rang you half melting down, I did feel that this one was a bit easier to write than the last one. Uh, I think because it's a full, you know, I had I had so much great time speaking to um, people to include their stories in it. But I I think I've learnt the process is um, I don't I don't I, I literally give myself a discipline where I'm going to um, think of all the ideas. I'm going to write stuff down. I'm you know got post-it notes all over the office, um, and almost give myself a certain time. So whether that's a month or two months before I then start writing. Like, so I'm literally say to myself, you're not allowed to even start writing until you've done a lot of thinking about it. So I think when you do that, so when you do open up the laptop, the words come a lot easier and you, know, you, you can pump them. I can pump it out pretty quickly. Um, and I, and I also have this discipline where I write in the morning when I'm creative and I never edit. So I just, I don't even reread what I've written. I just bang, 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 bang. And, you know, um, you know, when you've got the spell check on and everything goes red, I just look up and it's like a sea of red. It's just <laughs> like, I don't even care. I just write it out. And then in the afternoon, I will go back and read it because then I'm in editing mode, not in creative mode. So I'm very clear on separating um, when I write and when I edit and, I think don't try to do those two things at the same time. Yeah, nice. I actually like that in terms of the morning, bang, bang, mm. bang, 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 the afternoon. Okay, what is there? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and that's because I'm most creative in the morning. So I'm not saying everyone does that, but, but, but know when you're creative, know when you're creative. And, I mean, do the editing when you're tired because mm. how hard's editing? You just pay somebody to do that. I just, just outsource that. <laughs> you got to know where your strengths and weaknesses oh, are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you've been pretty honest. You're, you are quite honest in this, but saying that you failed English, mm-hmm. um, which I think is pretty authentic. Um, what's your advice to anyone who wants to write but is actually being held back by that idea of, you know, I can't write or I struggle to articulate my thoughts on writing? I'm, I'm good at speaking. I'm just not good on a page. What, what's your advice to someone who might be thinking something like that? Yeah, look, I think, I think there's, a couple of, there's a couple of things you can start with and maybe it depends where you go. Uh, you know, in, in our society around thought leadership, it's developing models which really helps deepen your thinking, like, you know, what's this? Uh, so it's almost like the left brain side of uh, developing your thoughts. But then the right brain side is, well, what's a, if you've got a point, like if you want to make a point, like I think, you know, this why do you think that? Like something's happened. Have you, have you got a story to demonstrate that? And I would always say, what's a personal story that you have that could demonstrate that? And then what's a work-related story, like a business example that demonstrates that? And I'm almost like if you wrote your personal story and if you wrote the business case study type example, um, 
half the battle done, I think, half the battle done. Um, and, and look, I'm clearly I'm biased because I think stories are a better way to communicate. So I, I share stories with everything, but at least getting the stories down, it could become content of the book or it could just help you clarify what you're trying to say. Yeah, nice. I think there's a nice perspective in that too, because I think with stories, uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on this, but I think with stories, it's like, it's not just your story. You're telling the story for somebody else. What are you trying to convey? What are they going to get out of it? Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of the things um, I certainly, you know, when I run my storytelling workshops, I get a lot of people go, but you know, what, why would anyone be interested in my story? Like, why would it, why would they be interested in blah, blah, blah. And it's almost like I've got to convince them to get out of their own way. Like this, isn't about you the the reason you hope the reason you're writing a book is that you think what you've got to say is of value to other people that's that's why I think most people write a book um so if you think what you've got to say is value to other people then you've got to communicate it in a way that is valuable that they do understand and stories are a powerful way to do that. So if sharing your story helps someone understand it better and get the message, it's almost, well, like get out of your own way. Like if, if that's what you want to do, then then do it. So it's almost by not doing it, you're almost being a little bit selfish because you're not, you know, you're not communicating in a way that they, you want them to get the value. Um, but you, some people are still reluctant to do it. But Again, like I said, I'm a bit biased. I just think stories are a really powerful way to get your information out there. Yeah, 100%. I actually really like that example because it is remembering your book is for someone. So mm. what are you actually holding back by not giving them the opportunity to hear your story? It's yeah. It's a different take on it. <coughs> Excuse me. So, all right. So we've talked a lot today <coughs> about yourself, about your book, um, and you've actually, you know, and this podcast as well, in this podcast, you've actually interviewed a, an array of senior leaders, entrepreneurs, lots of different people. What has been some of the key takeaways for you in all the interviews that you've done? I think the key takeaway, so I, I sort of interview a lot of senior leaders. So, you know, um, CEOs, senior execs, and because I sit down with them and, you know, because I'm trying to get, you know, underneath them a bit away from the corporate stuff and the questions, the type of questions I ask them, they really free up. They really, they're, they're really human. Like, you know, they sort of go, well, we want to be seen as human. And when I, when I interview them, they're seen as human. Like people go, oh, I didn't know them about them, didn't know them about them. And it's almost like um, the questions I ask them, either they give I think it gives them permission to talk about the stuff that they don't ever get asked about or they don't normally talk about and but it's surprising when they talk about some of their personal stuff how much more relatable they are and so again I, I look at CEOs and senior leaders going surely that's what you want to be you want to be more relatable you want to be more open you want people to be able to connect and engage with you so you're more you know they can approach you more you can get insights um you know you 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 make better decisions if people can come up and talk to you and tell you stuff um so that's been my biggest insight where you can i, rem I remember the very first one i did uh the, the very first one i did was with um 
Michael Abid, and he was the CEO of SBS at the time. And it was in the C, in the SBS offices in Sydney. And I went to reception and this dog came bounding up to me. Not really a dog person, but I was like this. Dog. And it was his dog. Like he had his two dogs in the office of the CEO. And, um, you know, we spoke, it was about a half hour podcast. We actually spent about three minutes discussing how to cook poached eggs, the perfect poached eggs. Cause you know, he started talking about, he's not much of a cook, but he does this and he does a mean poached egg. And, and then I start going, oh yeah, I can cook a poached egg too. And, and then he started the conversation and he goes, I know everyone says you should stir, but you shouldn't stir. And like, I'm sitting there going, I'm meeting the CEO of SBS for, I've got 30 minutes of his time and we're willingly spending five minutes talking about how to cook the perfect poached egg. So like stuff like that's cool, I reckon. Awesome. Um, all right. So it would be remiss of me to, to leave on that note today without actually asking you who is the best storyteller or has been the most influential storyteller in your life? Um, I think I'm going to have to say my dad. So uh, dad would tell a lot of stories. It would often, you, you, I'm all about telling authentic stories. You'd never quite knew if that were true or not, um, but they would, they, were, they would always be funny. Mum would always be going, oh, Hayden, why are you telling them that? And I was like, because it's funny, Mum. He would just be always sharing stories about his upbringing, um, things they did but you never quite knew if they were true I remember once he used to he told us that they were really poor and he used to have to walk 14 kilometers to school every day and because they were poor his mum wouldn't want him to wear out his school shoes so they had to wear walk barefoot and I remember thinking that cannot be true <laughs> it's just like and I remember we, years later he took us back and said this is where I lived and this is where our school was and I go, Dad, that is not 14 kilometres. It's about a kilometre. And he goes, well, it bloody felt like 14 kilometres. <laughs> you know, and just, you know, you used to go, oh, we never had lollies at kids. We just used to get hundreds and thousands as lollies. And you just, you never quite knew if they were true or not. But um, they, I, I think they were true to him. I think they were authentic to him. And that's that's the main thing. So, yeah, he... Um, he, I, I've dedicated this book to dad because he passed away about 18 months ago. But yeah, he was, he'd be always telling a story, always telling a story. I think your dad would be very proud of this book, Rao. And I think I can already sense that there's a sense of humour that you've picked up from him <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and an ability to tell a really cracking great yarn. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, so we'll leave it there today. Thank you, Raoul. I think we've covered a lot. Um, I'd love to people to support you and support your book. So can you just give a bit of details about when it's out and how they can support Magnetic Stories? Yes, yeah, so it launch, It comes out 1st of March or it's out 1st of March, wherever this goes live, and um, you can get it at all the you know, normal bookstores, Booktopia, Amazon, in-store, Dimmix, all, all the usual, all the usual. Um, and yeah, it's it's I, I I think this is a good one. I, I, I thanks to you, Cal, because I think uh, you know I've always said that um, I think I wrote I write okay books. You make them brilliant with your editing. <laughs> um, and yeah, the, we've we've after the sixth book, we've started to know how to work with each other. But yeah, just out and about. And you know, if they go to the website gabrieldolan.com, they'll find all the info there as well. 
Excellent. And if you want to know how to cook the perfect poached egg, reach out to Raoul <laughs> and ask. <laughs> yeah. sure or, or, my, or Michael Abid. We can, you know, <laughs> either way. Nice. Thanks, Cal.